So I don't know who needs to hear this, but turn your eyes upon Jesus. Somebody here needed to hear that at the start of the sermon, and you know who you are. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. So if your heart is breaking, or you feel just overwhelmed with life, if your marriage is struggling, if your kids are driving you crazy, if you hate your job, if you can't get along with your neighbors, whatever it is, you just fill in the blank and then turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's what David is doing in Psalm 25. His heart is stuffed full of troubles, and he doesn't like it. I mean, who wants their heart to be burdened, to be troubled with the complexities of life in a fallen world? Not me, but that's how life is sometimes, isn't it? We want life to be easy, but sugar booger, it's not. And the sooner we realize that, the better we will be able to cope with all the complexities of life in a fallen, broken, sin-filled world. Life is hard, and there is absolutely no way to insulate yourself from that. When Adam sinned, he messed up the world big time. And because Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, sometimes troubles just barge into your life, just barge into your heart uninvited. Troubles just show up on your doorstep, but they don't ring the doorbell. They just barge right in, and they make themselves comfortable in your heart. That's what troubles do. So what do you do when trouble does that to you? One, you talk to Jesus, and two, you let others know about it. So more on that as we go along. Okay, so we're actually going back to Psalm 25 where we started out this preaching series. So turn there in your Bibles. I just couldn't get away from this series in the Psalms. I didn't know where I was going to go since we wrapped up last time I preached. But I have lived in these Psalms over the last few months. They have become dear to me. They have become my friends. They have been my companions. They have been comforting my soul. The friendship of the Lord, which David mentions in Psalm 25, I have experienced that friendship in these psalms, and I hope you have too. So I wasn't sure where we should go over the next two weeks before we start our series uh, on Advent or Christmas, so I just came back to where I've been hanging out the last several months. There are several verses in these psalms that I have clung to, that I've repeated often, I've prayed vigorously, so I thought I'd revisit one of those next, this week, and then we'll probably do another one next week. So back to Psalm 25 we go. Look at verse 15 and hear the word of the Lord. My eyes are ever toward Yahweh, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. So who can't relate to that? I mean, at some point in our lives, this has been all of us. Lonely, afflicted, troubles, distresses. And that may be you this morning. And Jesus loves you so much 
that you're here right now because he wants to speak to you. Jesus loves you so much because this is your life that he put it into my head to come back to this series so that he could talk to you this morning. That's how much Jesus loves you. He knows what's going on in your heart and you're here because he wants to speak to you from his word. But David knows how you feel because he's been there. There's actually a lot of hope in these verses Uh, Even though it's heavy, there's hope. There's hope. Here's why. Because of Jesus. Because we have a God who listens to us and who cares about what we're going through. So even though these are heavy verses, there's hope because of the God that we love and serve. But these verses are also kind of strange. They don't seem like they go together, verses 15 through 18, but they actually share a seat on the bus. They're kind of a weird couple, but they capture the life of a disciple of Jesus. Now, let me explain what I mean. In verse 15, David is full of confidence. He says that his eyes are ever toward the Lord. He is focused on Yahweh. He is not rattled. He is confident. He fully expects the Lord to intervene and pluck him out of the net, pluck him out of this trap that has been set for him, that he has found himself in. He really believes that Yahweh will deliver him out of his troubles. But then in the next verse, David says he's lonely, he's afflicted, and the troubles of his heart have enlarged. So David is full of confidence on one hand, but he's also desperate on the other. He's confident but desperate. And that's discipleship. The life of a disciple entails this overwhelming confidence in Jesus, who he is, his power, his character, his word. There's this overwhelming confidence as well as this unbridled desperation. That's discipleship. And that's prayer too, isn't it? This is the posture we often have in prayer. Confidence in the desperation. I love what Paul Miller says in his book, A Praying Life. If you've not read A Praying Life and you struggle to pray, and who doesn't struggle to pray, check out Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life. Here's what he says. We forget that helplessness is how the Christian life works. The gospel, God's free gift of grace in Jesus, only works when we realize that we don't have it together. The same is true for prayer. The very thing we are allergic to Our helplessness is what makes prayer work. It works because we are helpless. We can't do life on our own. When our kids were 2, 5, 8, 12, 14, and 16, imagine that, I wrote this in my prayer journal. He says, May, March 19th, 1991. Amazing how when I don't pray in the morning, evil just floods into our home. I absolutely must pray. Oh God, give me the grace to pray. Then he says, it took me 17 years to realize that I couldn't parent on my own. It was not a great spiritual insight, just a realistic observation. If I didn't pray deliberately and reflectively for members of my family by name every morning, they'd kill one another. I was incapable of getting inside their hearts. I was desperate. God answered my prayer. As I began to pray regularly for the children, he began to work in their hearts. It didn't take me long to realize that I did my best parenting by prayer. 
I began to speak less to the kids and more to God. It was actually quite relaxing. Parents, you feel this, don't you? Well, David would say ditto to Paul Miller. David knows that helplessness is how the Christian life works. Helplessness and desperation are how David's life works. David knows that you can have absolute confidence, trust, and faith in God and yet be absolutely desperate. So this prayer in verses 15 through 18 is not this casual, Jesus, please watch over us today. Grant us traveling mercies. That's not one of those kinds of prayers. This is a nail-biting, pace the floor, pull your hair, hair out, go through a whole box of Kleenex, I am desperate kind of prayers. But even though David may be biting his nails and pacing the floor in desperation, this prayer is remarkably stuffed with faith. He tells us in verse 15 that his eyes are ever towards the Lord, which implies that David is not obsessing over the things that are troubling him. I mean, yes, he's aware of the troubles. He feels it deep down inside. He's not denying his troubles. He feels it in his heart. But David's not obsessing over his troubles. He's focused on Yahweh, on the Lord. His troubles, just like you and me, his troubles come to mind often, but he keeps introducing them to Jesus. And that's what you have to do when troubles keep coming back to mind because that's what happens, right? We roll our burden on the Lord and we're like, oh, that rolled uphill and here it comes again, right back down to us, right? That happens, doesn't it? The trouble, you pray about it, you feel like I'm leaving with the Lord, you walk away and two minutes later, there it is again. What do you do then when it just keeps coming to mind? You have to introduce them to Jesus over and over and over again. You have to say, hey, trouble, Meet my Savior. He's going to take care of you. And that's what David is doing here. He's desperate, so he goes in faith to God with his troubles in hand. David is saying, I'm focused on you, Lord. I know you will come through for me, but I need you to intervene now. No delays. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Stat. You've got to learn to pray like that sometimes to Jesus. We say, I need you to do something right now, Lord. Are you free to do that? I am. I've done that before. Jesus, I need you to do something right now. Why aren't you doing anything? You've got to learn to pray that way sometimes. That's what David is doing here. I think the Lord can handle that. Because um, what did Job say? Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then he turned around and said, cursed be the day that I was born. Chad Bird said, amens, anger, and anguish swirl inside the faithful, and God will accept them all. There are amens swirling in your heart. There's anger swirling in your heart. There's anguish swirling in your heart. And Jesus will accept all of those from you when you talk to him. And so there's this strange cocktail of confidence and desperation in David's prayer. Ralph Davis captures this when he says, Indeed, are not most of our prayers a mix of assurance and anxiety of trust and trouble? Sometimes in the middle of that nexus of trust and trouble, the trouble will intensify and multiply. We don't like to talk this way, at least not in church, but sometimes when we trust and pray things get much worse. It's true, isn't it? 
And you've probably been there, praying, trusting Jesus. And then things just get worse. We see that progression here in Psalm 25. The trust. David says, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. Then there's the prayer. Turn to me and be gracious to me. And then things just get much worse for David. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Sometimes when you are genuinely trusting the Lord with your situation, your situation gets much worse. You ever have that happen? Where you do feel like Job 2.0? Where you just keep getting hit by life? Where you're living life, you're staying focused on Jesus, you're trusting him, and you go to Jesus with your trouble in prayer only to find that more trouble has arrived and made itself at home in your heart. Oh, I hate that. And that's David here. One thing after another, trouble upon trouble. But notice, too, how David just piles up all these troublesome words to describe how he feels. Lonely, afflicted, troubles, destruction, distresses, affliction, trouble. Not exactly the victorious Christian life, is it? And there is no quote-unquote victorious Christian life, by the way. Jesus lived a victorious Christian life. We're just stumbling our way through till we see him, Right? Life in this fallen world is often the afflicted Christian life. And you see that all through the Psalms. It's hard. It's not easy. And on top of all the affliction and trouble, David tells us that he's lonely too. He feels all alone in verse 16. He uses a Hebrew word for lonely that is used elsewhere in the Old Testament for someone having an only child or, or their being only one of something. For instance, it's the same word used in Genesis when God told Abraham, take your only son Isaac and sacrifice him, Genesis 22. So David feels like he's the only one suffering. He feels all alone. David is saying, I feel like I'm the only one going through this. I feel like I'm the only one in this world who has troubles that are stretching out his heart. Turn to me, Lord, and be gracious to me. Bring me out of this distress. Don't you sometimes feel that way? I do. Sometimes I feel like I'm the only one suffering, the only one experiencing trouble and affliction in this world. You've felt that way before, right? Or am I the only person who feels sorry for himself and just gets down on himself? Well, it's just me. Everybody else is living the perfect life. Jesus, why me? I trust we've all been there. And that may be you today. Why is this happening, Lord? Why me? Why me? Do you feel all alone like you're the only one suffering? You ever feel like you don't have any friends as if no one cares? That's David in Psalm 25. And what does all this suffering and loneliness do to one's heart? David says the, tr- the troubles of his heart have enlarged. It's like his heart is stretchy. It's like his heart, his heart is made of silly putty. It just kind of stretches more and more. It expands with more troubles. The Hebrew is literally, troubles have enlarged my heart. All these troubles have stretched David's heart out. It's like there's a welcome sign hanging on the outside of his heart inviting trouble in. The Hebrew word that David uses here for enlarged is the word that's used often in the Old Testament when the Lord speaks of expounding the boundaries of Israel, expanding their land, giving them more land. And so David is saying, the property lines for my heart keep expanding. I've got more acres that I know what to do with, but there's a problem. 
Troubles have moved onto my property and now are squatting on every acre of my heart. David's troubles are squatting on his heart. They've pushed and expounded the boundaries of his heart. And that's how it is sometimes. It's not like you just have one problem and that's all that can fit in your heart. Like your heart can only hold one problem at a time. Well, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? One trouble per customer. One trouble per disciple. Sometimes it is that way. Sometimes we're just dealing with one issue in our life. But there are other times in our lives, maybe I should say many, many times in our lives, where it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve thousand problems that have barged into our hearts. Anybody remember that song? Electric Company, PBS. What do we do then when there's 12,000 problems? Well, obviously, we need to tell Jesus. We need to pour our hearts out to him. But we also need to tell someone else. We need to confide in others. Listen, when your heart is full of troubles, you need to tell someone. You cannot carry these burdens on your own. God has given you other Christians. He's given you a church family who can help you, pray for you, encourage you. So let's be a church where it's normal to have someone just come up to us and say, my heart is full of troubles. Will you pray for me? Let's be that kind of church. And I think we are, but let's do it more. You don't have to go into, any, all, into all the details, any of the details of what's troubling you, because Jesus knows. Just be willing to go up to someone, or text someone, or DM someone, or call someone, and just simply say, my heart is full of troubles. Will you pray for me? I mean, that's it, 11 words. And then that person will pray as the Holy Spirit leads. And we can do this, right? I mean, imagine what a church culture we will reinforce if we do this. Imagine what our kids will think. We're all about making disciples, making disciples here at Grace. That's our tagline. Well, what if we discipled the kids of this church when their hearts are breaking to go to someone and say, my heart is full of troubles. Will you pray for me? Listen, people are hurting There are people hurting in this room. There are people in this room right now who are walking alone and carrying heavy burdens in their hearts. We never know what someone is going through. Sometimes, you know, people, they they get mad at the church and they leave, or they get mad at the pastor or the deacons, elders, staff, because they didn't do something. Or maybe somebody in the church, you know, they weren't there for me. And they get mad and they leave. What they fail to realize is that sometimes the people that they wanted to be there for them were struggling with things on their own. And maybe we're going through hell. And they weren't thinking about that person, not because they don't love them, not because they don't care, but because they were drowning. They couldn't think about anybody else because they were just trying to survive another day. We need to remember that. When we get bothered or, or hurt or offended by another brother or sister in Christ, we don't know what they're going through if they haven't opened up to us. So let's give one another the benefit of the doubt. If somebody offends you or something goes wrong, give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they were drowning. Maybe the troubles of their heart were enlarged and they couldn't even think about you. They're just trying to survive another day. Let's be a church that gives the benefit of the doubt to someone. That when something happens and they offend us, we don't think, wow, I'm just mad. Just think, you know, I don't know what they're, maybe they're going through something. 
Maybe I should just sit back and pray for them and I'll deal with my own heart. Let's be a church that can just go up to one another and say, my heart is full of troubles. Will you pray for me? And you're safe to do that here. This is a safe place, a safe church for struggling disciples who are just stumbling their way home to Jesus. I hope you feel welcome here. I hope you feel loved here. That when your heart is breaking, when you feel overwhelmed with life, that you feel comfortable enough to go up to someone and ask for prayer and to just say 11 words, my heart is full of troubles. Will you pray for me? I hope that becomes normal around here. It's what Jesus wants for this church. And it's what the devil hates. I hate the devil. So I want to bother him as much as I can because he bothers me. So let's do that. Let's make the devil mad. Let's care for one another like this. Scott Saul says, when God's children start showing up for each other, the accuser starts to tremble. Let's keep showing up for one another. Let's care for one another in this way and then let's watch the devil tremble. Okay, look at verse 17 again. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. David now asks Yahweh to deliver him from all these distresses. The Hebrew word here that he uses for distresses is often paired with the word besieged in the Old Testament. So when an army would attack a city and they were you know, behind the walls and couldn't get out, they were besieged. The people were trapped inside. They couldn't go anywhere. They would run out of food and run out of water. The distress that they felt was real. That's what David is getting at here. He feels like he has nowhere to go. He's trapped. He's hemmed in. He's in a tight spot. And he is praying desperately for Yahweh to bring him out of his distresses. And it's not just distress singular. It's plural. Distresses. And that's how life often is. We get bombarded by troubles and distresses. Plural. Plural distresses, plural troubles. But the trouble we often encounter when we, are, when we are bombarded with trouble is that we try to solve it all ourselves. We try to bring ourselves out of our distresses. Notice that David asked the Lord to bring him out of his distresses. When we try to control things that are not controllable, our souls get all twisted up in knots. When you try to control things in your life that are absolutely uncontrollable, what will happen is your soul will just get all twisted up in knots. We were not made to control things. We were made to turn our eyes to the Lord in trust. And so most of the static and the chaos that we experience when troubles move into our hearts uninvited is caused by us trying to control the uncontrollable. So that feeling you get, that, that static and chaos that's stirred up in your heart when all these troubles come in uninvited, that happens because you are trying to control the uncontrollable. So we have to learn and relearn and relearn to rest, to trust, 
to be at peace with the pace of God. Now let me say that again because I don't know who needs to hear it this morning, but here you go. You know who you are. Learn to be at pace with the peace. Learn to be at peace with the pace of God. Got that backwards. Learn to be at peace with the pace of God. Someone here needed to hear that. God will bring you out of your distresses in his time, in his way, according to his infinite and perfect wisdom. Your job is not to bring yourself out. Your job is to bring yourself to Jesus. So David's not running away from these troubles and distresses. He isn't trying to solve it all on his own or in his own wisdom. He just takes it all to Jesus. He's not trying to control the uncontrollable. Instead, he turns his eyes to the only one who is in control, namely Jesus. This might be a great spot in the sermon to remind you to turn your eyes upon Jesus. And now turn your eyes back to Psalm 25. We're going to look at one more verse. Look at verse 18. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. David told us that his eyes were upon the Lord, but now he wants Yahweh to look upon him. He's like, I'm looking at you, but I need you to look at me. Have you seen what's going on in my life? I'm looking at you, Jesus. Are you looking at me? Are you aware of what is happening? Of course, God sees and already knows all that is happening in David's life. So what David means when he says, consider my affliction and my trouble, what he means is, do something about this right now. David wants God to act pronto. And sometimes you have to pray that way. You have to say, Jesus, I need you to intervene right now. No more waiting. Look at what I'm going through and come through for me big time. Sometimes you got to pray. Do something about this right now, Jesus. And you can do that. Jesus doesn't mind. Jesus loves desperate people who pray desperate prayers. To quote another David, David Pallison uh, said this about David. He says, David does not mentally rehearse the fact that God is in control in order to quietly press on with unflinching composure. Let's stop there because that's what we often tend to do, right? Just rehearse the fact that God is in control so that I can quietly press on with unflinching composure. Jesus is in control. God is sovereign. I'll just go on my way. David doesn't do that. Instead, he says, David pleads candidly and believingly with God. He essentially cries out, this is big trouble. You must help me. I need you. You are my only hope. Prayer means asking for something you need and want. Supplication means really asking. Now, let's pause the quote, right? Prayer is saying, Jesus, I need you. Will you do this? Supplication is like, Jesus, I need you to do something right now. It's really asking. When you're desperate and you're backed up against the wall, He continues, Frank's supplication is the furthest thing from keeping everything in perspective so you can press on with life as normal. Supplication is not a calming exercise like deep breathing. Supplication pleads for help from someone who can help. 
The sovereign God does not intend that you maintain the status quo while suffering. Pain disrupts normal. It's supposed to disrupt normal. It's supposed to make you feel a need for help. When you let life's troubles get to you, it gets you to the only one who can help you. When you're suffering, you're not meant to just maintain the status quo. It's meant to drive you to Jesus in desperation and plead and not just pray, but like really pray. Trouble gets our attention, doesn't it? God uses trouble to get our attention and to remind us that we need Jesus because as much as we talk about needing Jesus all the time in this church, we all live like we don't need Jesus, don't we? And trouble gets our attention. It's like, oh yeah, I do really need you. So get used to praying, Jesus, this is big trouble. You must help me. I need you. You are my only hope. If you pray like that, you just might find that you have successfully rolled your burdens on the Lord. But David's troubles are not the biggest problem he has. He's a sinner. He needs grace, which is why he asks for forgiveness in verse 18. Yes, he's suffering. Yes, his heart is being stretched by all his troubles, but there's a deeper issue with his heart, and it's his sin. He knows that he needs grace. He needs forgiveness. He needs cleansing, and he finds that with Yahweh. Listen, don't forget to ask for forgiveness when you're suffering. Because I know when I suffer, I get very self-absorbed. I get angry at God. I think things about him that are not true. I think things about people that are probably not true. And so we tend to just focus on the pain. We tend to forget that, hey, I'm also dealing with sin, my own sinful heart as I'm suffering. And we need to have that posture of humility of saying, oh, yes, Jesus, come to me for me right now. You need to answer right now. And please forgive me of my sins. Don't forget that. It's as if David got an early draft of 1 John. 1 John 1, 8 and 9, which says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let me remind you today, Christian, if you're trusting in Christ, you are forgiven and you are clean, and you are righteous because of Jesus. So rest in that. This is the gospel. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He can't remember your sins. That ought to take a big load off. And if your heart is breaking this morning, turn your eyes upon Jesus. As the troubles of your heart are enlarged, turn your eyes upon Jesus. If you feel lonely and afflicted, turn your eyes upon Jesus. If you feel overwhelmed with life, turn your eyes upon Jesus. If your marriage is struggling, turn your eyes upon Jesus. If your kids are driving you crazy, turn your eyes upon Jesus. If you hate your job, turn your eyes upon Jesus. If you feel guilty, ashamed, and condemned because of your sin, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Whatever it is that's weighing on your heart this morning, turn your eyes upon Jesus. In 1922, Helen Lemel wrote the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. These words may be what your heart needs as we close. 
O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I'm going to pray and since we have a little bit of time, uh, I want us to just, the band will come up and they can kind of start whenever they want to, but uh, let's just take a few minutes and pray. Roll your burdens on the Lord. If you need to grab someone that you know that's close to you or you're free to just reach out to a neighbor and may not even know them and just say, troubles of my heart are enlarged, will you pray for me? Let's take this moment to pray for one another. You may need to get up and go across the sanctuary, that's okay. Find someone you know or just tap somebody on the shoulder in front of you and say, troubles of my heart are enlarged this morning. Will you pray for me? We'll do that for five minutes or so, and then the band can start whenever they want to, and we'll sing, but I'll, I'll close this in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we are often overwhelmed. Hard storylines in our lives, things we can't control, suffering of loved ones. Open our eyes to see your provision all around us today. Let us feel your everlasting arms wrapped around us and poised under us. Open our ears to hear you singing over us in the gospel. Fill the chambers of our hearts with melodies of your grace and your fatherly care. And please make Jesus the biggest, most beautiful, most unavoidable reality in our lives right now, even if our circumstances are slow to change. Help us embrace our vulnerability and weakness as opportunities to rely on you. And please mute the voice of Satan who attacks us in our weariness with shame and fear and wrong thinking about you. Help us not to think wrongly about you. Free us to run to the throne of grace regularly and free us even right now to run to our grace friends and to ask for prayer. Do this for your glory. Do this for our good, we ask in your name. Amen.